podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. Hello, this is Dr. Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association, and thank you for joining our podcast today entitled Maneuvering Diverse State-Level Policy When Establishing a National Distance Learning Program. And we are very lucky to have with us today David Reed, who is the Assistant Education Director of the Blue Ridge International Academy. Thank you for joining us, David. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. The Blue Ridge International Academy is actually a company that services national and international students with accredited high school diplomas, but David's been in education a long time and has actually accumulated, what, about 12 years experience, right, developing and and implementing non-traditional secondary programs, education programs? Yeah, my entire history is secondary alternative non-traditional programs to support students' needs. Wonderful. And I know you did a lot of that at Gilbert Public School System in Arizona. Yeah, I primarily started there as a teacher and then moved up to lead teacher, then administrator, and then school to work and various other programs to support the students of the district moving into correspondence and then eventually web-based learning. Wow, so you've been doing it from the beginning, and so you've seen the full evolution of it. Pretty much seen uh, the embryonic uh, growth of this whole thing uh, from a bird's eye view, I guess is the best way to put it. That's great. David actually holds his bachelor's degree in occupational education from Southern Illinois University and also has a master's of education in curriculum and instruction from Arizona State University. So welcome again. Thank you. And I know there are a lot of people who are very interested in, in this topic it really is kind of exploding. There are a number of web-based high school providers out in the market right now and, you know, starting to be a lot of opportunity. But in our conversations, I noticed that you're really very different. And could you describe how you're different from others? I think what makes uh, my school, Blue Ridge International Academy, different is that we're actually an accredited high school diploma issuing agency. In my previous position with Gilbert Public Schools, I received the credit through the courses. I'm sorry, I received the courses from the vendor, but in turn, I had to deliver and accredit the courses and then issue the credit to the schools for the student's transcript. And now, with the school that I'm part of, we issue our own credits and we are accredited. In fact, we have three accreditations, including CETA, and it allows us now to issue our own credit and document our own courses without having to go through what you would call kind of a subcontractor to do that. And because we're private, it allows us to serve pretty much any student at any age. Most of your delivery programs obviously are uh, based on state funding, FTE funding, Mm -hmm. whereas we don't fall under that as we're private. And so we also work with a lot of organizational agencies such as Job Corps, Workforce Investment Act corporations that are uh, that are uh, capturing adults and bringing them back in to finish their diplomas. And we're also able to offer a high school option now 
for organizations and programs that were only GED based. You mentioned CETA. Uh, what actually does CETA stand for for those who don't know? You got me. I would have to look that up. It's a Commission on Trans-Regional Authority is about the closest I can come. International Trans-Regional Authority, I think is what okay. it is. So okay. Sure. And what that does is basically that's an accreditation that is international. Mm -hmm. is what it is and we're also SACS and we have a couple of others because our home office and our company is located in Virginia they have to meet the accreditation requirements of Virginia mm -hmm. uh, but then we just finished getting the CETA accreditation last year and part of that was again so that we could then develop the accreditation requirements uh, because again the first thing that always comes up when it comes to web-based distance learning is accountability it's always the big one and unfortunately right or wrong, believe it or not, that's what drives courses and credits and diplomas is accountability. And again, that's still all tied to accreditations. Definitely. I'm sure there are a tremendous number of benefits of developing an interstate interconnected web-based public education network. What have you found uh, some of the benefits? Well, the major benefit that I've noticed is the ability to share highly qualified teachers nationwide. We have teachers in Arizona that are serving students in Pennsylvania. Many of your smaller outlying communities, which we have in Arizona and in, many, in the Montana, North Dakota area, your Midwest area where you have very small communities that have very small student populations that still need to be served, but they have a huge problem recruiting math teachers, science teachers, and the such. And so we hire only highly qualified teachers as our staff so we're able to now share those staff nationally with people that need it. It, it also allows the sharing of curriculum ideas internationally because mm -hmm. we have forums within our software where people can dialogue with each other internationally to discuss ideas, solve problems. Also, we can share courses. Many places, alternative schools, an example would be a lot of alternative schools are set up for core curriculum only mm -hmm. because their job is to graduate. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the problems from my personal experience was we also received long-term suspension students who were not high risk. So mm -hmm. they got a nine-week suspension for possession of a weapon or drugs or something related. They still had to be taken out of their school for a certain amount of time, but we did not offer calculus mm -hmm. or algebra yes. two or physics. And so this allowed me to now serve that population thoroughly rather than them having to take a hit, a double hit, and in, in conjunction with already being kicked out of their school, not getting a double hit of also losing credits. Right. Good point. Also, we were able to develop consortiums that can, where you can share. Many communities are small, so they don't have the resources to do their own distance learning program. So we're able to go in and develop consortiums between districts and then run it from a central point. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's been very helpful for your smaller communities. I would imagine it would be very helpful. I know, I can imagine there are a lot of challenges. Uh, what have you found to be some of the bigger challenges? The biggest challenge I found after five years of web-based distance learning is the paradigm of traditional education. Fighting through those barriers that are ingrained in, in, in the system that Unless a teacher is standing in front of a classroom with students in rows, it's not teaching. And it's, that's been the biggest barriers trying to break through that type of uh, thinking. 
policy differences are amazing. And it isn't just at the state level, it's at the district level. You have districts that have clamped distance learning down to only recovery. Mm -hmm. Only can do credit recovery. You have districts that have established policies that students can only take distance learning if it's not offered in the school. You right. have policies where you know, students can, you know, can't take it at all. And then you have other districts where they've opened it completely up and allow the students to do as much as mm -hmm. they want to. And then it varies greatly by state. Teacher certification is a huge variance nationwide when it comes to distance learning. Many states are writing legislation and policy that require endorsements on the teacher certifications and professional development before they can even do distance learning. Okay. Other states don't even address that. Arizona is one that does not even address teacher qualification for distance learning. Professional development again, what kind of training do teachers need and who does it? Is the district going to do it or are they going to subcontract? So you're seeing a lot of policy developed that is mandating specific requirements, but no provisions to administer it. Definitely Inclu a challenge. Including the funding. <laughs> including Definitely funding, some yeah. challenges. Another big challenge is seat time versus outcome-based learning. Everybody still wants that Carnegie unit seat time requirement and so that contradicts with the whole benefit of web-based learnings pre-assessment courses so if I can have a student that's failed algebra three times many times I can put them in a pre-assessment algebra and through competency-based learning they will knock half of the course out because mm -hmm. they understand certain objectives which expedites their credit recovery and also builds self-esteem so there's huge issues nationwide as to how seat time plays into web-based learning and then of course that correlates back to funding again mm -hmm. because seat time in Arizona for example is based on is, is what seat funding is what drives seat time and seat time drives funding it's just that simple that's why my program I developed in Gilbert Public Schools had to be tuition based because I was not funded in any way okay. so I was part of a community education program which so I regenerated my own salary and my own cost through the tuition pro of, the, of the courses Lastly, you know, another major challenge is developing a common language. Nationwide, there's cyber schools, e-schools, virtual schools, online learning, distance learning. And one of the, I think, the major task at hand is somehow we have to develop a correlative common language as to what web-based learning is, what we call it, and what it means. Definitely. You make some excellent points. I know there are a lot of diversities embedded in state-level public distance learning education policy. Could you describe some of those? Well, one of the major diversities in policy is oversight. Who's, who's overseeing the whole virtual school network? We talked earlier about Florida Virtual. That's an example of a state-level program. And obviously, they've been at it 10 years, and they got it down to a science. Uh, John Watson, in his studies, I don't know if you've ever read them, it's called Keeping Pace with K-12 Online Learning. Yes, okay, yes. He mentions three types of oversight in those studies. And one is where the state has policy, but it's run at the school level or the site level. The other is where the state has policy and runs it as a state program. The other was where the state has no policy and the district just 
or the site creates their own policy and their own. Obviously, if you read, if you look at those studies over the last four years, which he's done annually now, the number of the number of sites being run locally with no oversight is diminishing quickly. Mm -hmm. Because as he says in there, which is very important, I think, is that for the first ten years or five or ten years of virtual learning, vendors and private industry drove what we were doing because schools were very far behind the curve on not only how to do it or what they wanted, but technologically they couldn't even deliver it in many cases. Well, now, he, as Watson says in his studies, legislation and policy is starting to catch up to the vendors and begin to establish controls mm -hmm. of, of accountability, credibility, you know, and accessibility. And basically it gets back to equity again. You know, is everybody really getting to take advantage of what this program mm -hmm. can offer? Funding, obviously, is a huge problem nationwide because many times, just like Arizona did, they will establish policy and not fund it. Arizona attached no money to their virtual schools when it became a pilot in 98, and then in 2003 expanded it. And then the Auditor General's report last fall noted that they overspent $7 million. So these are the type of problems that are causing, that are giving web-based learning a bad name, mm -hmm. I think, is the problem. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the charter school stigma. Charter schools have a stigma because many of them have not been successful and been closed for all kinds of reasons. And I think it's those type of legislative actions that kind of set web-based learning up for failure are also is what's impeding our growth and our ability to mm -hmm. make it successful. Mm -hmm. Provisions of equipment. Some states require that, I think it's Pennsylvania requires that the distance learning provider give them a computer and internet access. Other states do not right. require. Arizona does not, they don't even talk about any type of provisions to support the student. So there's a huge cost factor and accountability factor for web-based learning in some states. And then the la another one would be how it's used. How is web-based learning going to be used? Is it credit recovery? Is it acceleration? Is it in lieu of? Is it used for homebound medical kids? And so it seems like each time that web-based learning is considered for use, it has to go through a huge level of scrutiny to first determine its credibility before it can mm -hmm. be used. I spent over three years developing that credibility in my district. And then the last thing I, I would come up with is acceleration versus credit recovery. And then the parameters that Pete put on legislation and policy for students to be able to say accelerate in courses rather than only use it for credit recovery. Good point. I've read and we all have read and heard you know, a lot of misconceptions or a lot of fears associated with the development of public distance education. What are some of those? Can we combat them? Well, one of the misconceptions I've I, I fought for a year was for years was teachers are going to lose their jobs. Yes, that's I've always heard that repeatedly. That is the first cry. It seems like whenever, particularly now that I work more with outside of uh, districts and I'm working with many different districts and schools, this is a common and, and a, a common thread throughout the nation is that fear of losing jobs. And in fact, it was very interesting because I was in a presentation in California 
a few months ago and speaking to how they could it was I was talking to career and technical education teachers in Modesto California like 50 teachers and all I was trying to do was subversively allude to the fact that they could charge tuition for courses because it's a service to the students and they are totally against even thinking about charging tuition for web-based courses and the the, the ironic thing was when we were completely done with the res, uh, the uh, presentation, one of the assistant superintendents came into the boardroom to address the group of teachers and alluded to the fact that they were going to have to lose two teaching positions for next year. Oh my gosh. At that point, I was ready to raise my hand and say, now are we ready to do some tuition-based distance learning? Because it will generate revenue locally for, for students that want that service. And as we talked about a little earlier, do you not provide a service because you have to charge for it? Mm -hmm. Well, that battle's been going on in athletics for years. Yes. And athletics continues to win, as we know. Courses need to be synchronous. That's another fallacy where everybody thinks one of the misconceptions related to this is, is parents have taken web-based college courses. Mm -hmm. And they have a misconception that that's how online learning should be. And that's not real. Most high school students take web-based learning courses because they do not want synchronous interaction. They want the flexibility and the freedom to work at their pace, at their time, and whenever they want to do that. And so the, the idea of synchron uh, being synchronous is also one that, need, that has to be eroded away because that's not really what students want. And just because you're dialoguing with the student through the web does not mean that that increases learning. Good point. Seat time equals rigor. We're back to the seat time issue that you have to do a certain amount of hours for that to be conducive to the amount of learning that a student gets. And then again, no accountability. In other words, students are cheating. Students have no, you have no way of checking who's doing the work. Those kind of questions come up all the time. I always get asked, how do you know they're doing the work? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is, well, when my daughter used to bring home her worksheet from school, how did they know I wasn't doing the work? The credibility lies in the assessment. And that's why, for instance, one of our policies is that we require that the midterm and the final be proctored exam. Part of that, uh, obviously, was to solidify accreditation, but also we, we want to be transparent and we want people to understand that we want our courses to be rigorous and credible. And I'm the type of educator that would not want to be part of an organization that wasn't credible and rigorous. Mm -hmm. The whole point of things like the USDLA and and web-based learning nationally is to hopefully erode those barriers down to where within reason we can show web-based learning to be a credible alternative. You're right. We talk a lot about non-traditional education challenges. We always read about it in the press and in publications. How can some of those non-traditional challenges be remedied, do you believe, in your experience with distance education? Well, because I've my background's completely alternative. I ended up with all the non-traditional challenges <laughs> because traditional schools are just not really set up for those challenges. They're set up for six periods a day, 180 days a year, eight o'clock to three o'clock and so on. And the alternative programs were created to meet the need of, of students who were not either not fitting into that traditional model or were not getting what they needed in that traditional model. 
homebound medical. I ran that for a year and that just by using web-based learning for homebound medical students I was able to take students who used to maybe take a week or more to get served to where I could meet with the parent and have the student in classes the same day. And because our courses, an example of, of diversity is our courses, we're able to activate and inactivate lessons at will. So I can take any transfer student and mod modify our courses to the lessons they need very, very quickly, Excellent. giving the student credit for what they've done. Transfer of students is always a critical issue. Students transferring in and out of schools. The problem that that causes, as I alluded to earlier, is the number of credits and the graduation credits are so diverse nationally. Colorado and Texas, you're in the mid-20s for credits. In Arizona, you're in the low 20s. You have seniors that are moving from Boeing in Phoenix to Boeing in Seattle, and the poor senior walks into the school in, in Kent, Washington, and finds out they need five more credits to graduate when they thought they only needed two classes. The issue isn't always moving. The issue is also that we have diverse calendars nationwide. An example of that is a the Washington schools in the Seattle area, they break at the end of January. We break at Christmas. So parents think they're doing the right thing by holding the student until the semester break at the end of January in Seattle. They bring them to Phoenix or Mesa at, at the end of January. School's been in session for three weeks. Too late to start. These are the kind of things that, that students run into every day have numerous students who are on medications or ill who can do a modified schedule mm -hmm. but cannot because the traditional system cannot accommodate them with the two classes they need to take outside of school. Mm -hmm. Many students with depression or anxiety can't even function before 10 in the morning. So I worked out ways to be able to take two of those courses online and now the student came in at 10 o'clock and did four in the classroom. Many of these students were eligible for homebound medical. But the parent did not want to lose the entire social interaction of school just because of an illness. But that's a huge benefit for the web-based, uh, for, for those types of students. Uh, diverse scheduling was huge. It allowed us to do night school more, much more cheaply. We were able to do summer school. My summer school in my district was about 1,600 students. But many of those students do things in the summer. Church camps, basketball camps, tours, trips, whatever. So the web-based learning allowed me to offer another option to, in the summer rather than brick-and-mortar seats. I took care of that and solved a lot more problems for parents who really didn't mind the option. They just wanted a choice. They just wanted a choice. And the last thing, it really helps with extending credit recovery options. As we say, credits are going up nationally. If students fail a class, there's really no room left in schedules any longer to recover credits. I am so impressed. You all have done some incredible creative ways to uh, keep students in, in school. You and Blue Ridge International Academy, and I'm sure students have thanked you numerous times for changing their lives by giving them the opportunity to complete their education and move on with a career or college. You are really to be commended. Well, it's been fun. It's a lot of fun watching. It's 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 exciting being part of a paradigm shift in public education and being an active participant in that and many parents are very happy too yeah, um, I bet. because unfortunately 
parents go through some very frustrating times with students who are having problems. Custodial, my own daughter even had got extended deficiencies because of custodial issues, moving back and forth between parents, which happens to these kids every day, and they get caught in these transfer. One of the things I always say is traditional students get caught in non-traditional situations every day. And it's just how do we solve those problems? An example of that is I was looking at some numbers. In Arizona, 50,000 freshmen enrolled in the fall of 2006. The same fall, only 30,000 seniors enrolled. So that's a 20,000 student drop yes. between yes. three grades. And I thought, well, this is my, maybe it's just a, a burp in the data or system or mm -hmm. something. So I went back 15 years to the beginning of charter schools in Arizona and found that the numbers were lower because the population was lower, but the percentage of drops still ranged from 18 to 20% every year between huge. freshmen and seniors. So as I, when I talk to traditional educators about web-based learning, I don't talk it as a competitor. I don't have to compete. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's plenty of students who are not being served within the traditional system to serve. Yes, you're absolutely right. As we move further into the 21st century, where do you see public distance education fitting into the overall national public education picture? And, uh, do you have that crystal ball? Well, a lot of it is speculation of the momentum that web-based learning has, but also maybe some hope <laughs> that this yeah. is where it might go. I'm thinking that the assessment-based standardized test preparation will be very helpful for students. Many of the problems that teachers have is being able to identify specific needs for these students quickly and then remediate quickly, and especially if you're in a highly transitory community such as Arizona. It's highly transitory and kids are coming all going all the time. And for instance, my alternative school, I had 100% turnover every year. So your ability to assess students' needs quickly is so crucial. And web-based courses, pre-assessment type courses, allow that to happen. And then to build a prescriptive plan for the student after that mm -hmm. and do mm -hmm. it like within a day, which before that was impossible to do. Options for potential dropouts. Hopefully start more funding will go into like workforce investment programs because they know the cost of dropouts. Mm -hmm. The average high school dropout is 17. The average GED is 25. Where did they go for eight years? Yes. So there's a void there that's not being addressed. And I think that web-based learning will help solve that problem nationally because it, it offers more options. There are many employers out there that are employing non-high school graduates that will actually pay for their students to get their high school diploma. Web-based web -based learning would solve that option yes. if they would go in and just develop that. Really, the only problem is they just need somebody to go in and show them how to do it mm -hmm. and make it a win for everybody, really how it works. GED versus a high school diploma. As I said, nationally, the programs, the funding normally nationally has always been geared toward GEDs. Yes. Well, now I've gone in and shown how I can actually take and reformulate a transcript using the current curriculum of the organization and in many cases show how a, high, how a dropout can earn a high school diploma equal or even quicker than a GED. The GED That's test is very difficult now. It was all just completely revised within the last few years and 
if I can get a student down to say three or four credits to graduate, well, I can take them through those four credits with a highly qualified teacher support rather than putting them, say, in a web-based GED preparation course and then throwing them basically to the wind and say, oh, now we'll take the test. Mm -hmm. Whereas I control the credits, the GED test. Uh, national certifications for teachers. You know, it, I've always thought it very interesting that I can be certified in one state and not another. And then you have to go through this process yes. over and over uh -huh. and over again. And I'm a certified administrator in Arizona, but I can't go to, say, North Dakota without taking another test. These are the kind of things I think that I hope web-based learning will help to erode and maybe start graying the lines a little bit on certification. I think we're already doing that with national certifications and things like that, but I would like to see that start to melt where we can transcend that. And then, of course, lastly, I think that it'll lead to the development of national objectives and standards, which I think we need greatly because, again, it's the same thing. Why, why is it 25 credits in one state and 21 in another and 29 in another? I've got students in Georgia right now. Their, their district requires 28 credits to graduate. I don't know how they get 28 credits in in, in four years. So it's, it's, it's overload for a lot of the students. And I think we spent the 60s and 70s, you know, creating such a diverse population. And it's unfortunate now that we're expecting them all to be, you know, stuffed into the same hole. Excellent point. David, you have been incredibly enlightening. You've really have given us a lot of food for thought. and. It really appears that you're making an incredible difference in education, especially our non-traditional students. And for that, we thank you and for pushing the envelope along the way. I know it, it isn't easy. Well, it's never easy, but I think if you're not in education to affect change, then why yeah. are you in yeah. education, whether it's in the classroom or in a district or nationally? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure there are people out there who would like to get in touch with you. Can you share some contact information? Sure. My office number is 480-777-7720. The school website is blueridgelearning.com. And my email is dread, with two E's, at blueridgelearning.com. And I look forward to any questions that you may have or any way that I can support the growth of web-based learning. David, thank you so much. This is Marilyn Gardner with the United States Distance Learning Association. And if you have any questions for me or are interested in finding out more about USDLA, you can contact us at www.usdla.com. Thank you very much, and I hope you have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by Nova Southeastern University's Fischler School of Education and Human Services. The Fischler School has the largest graduate school of education at an accredited university, serving more than 14,000 students each academic year in some 55 cities across the United States, plus approximately 40 other countries. The Fischler School of Education and Human Services is dedicated to the enhancement and continuing support of teachers, administrators, trainers, and others working in related helping professions throughout the world.